me making that decision that I wasn't going to lie in bed any longer and listen to the you must say goodbye to your kids now. That was the biggest thing because the day that I said to my kids and they were 12 and 14 at the time, the day that I said, mummy won't be here next year, I realised what I was saying. I looked in their eyes and I realised I was giving up and I was listening to what all the doctors were telling me. And that just wasn't good enough. It wasn't acceptable. Be confident, be bold, be authentic, but don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Magic Barclay has been a single mother of two for the past 10 years. In that time, stress and the roller coaster of life has seen her face her mortality a number of times. Cancer, Lyme disease, stroke, diabetes, heart attack, and a hypoxia survivor. Magic helps you to treat the root cause of any illness so that you can get to the health that you want to live or the healthy lifestyle that you want to live. So this episode, so much goodness. We definitely talk a lot about the health and medicines and what our medication might be doing to us and not just listening to the doctors, being able to ask why, and then responding to hard situations like divorce and getting over mom guilt. There's just so much. This episode is packed with a lot of good nuggets, so stay tuned. Make sure that you listen to this one. And then, if you love it as much as I did, head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Every single one matters and it helps the podcast helps other badasses just like you to find the show or if that's not your jam you're not into that then just take a screenshot of the episode and throw it in your instagram stories and tag me at ordinary to badass all right let's get to it already Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I'm so glad you're here. Today's guest is Magic Barclay. Magic, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So before we go any further, I've got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? Definitely badass. (laughs) Any Aussie accent. (laughs) I love it when people just own it. So have you always felt like a badass? Yeah, definitely. I've never been ordinary. Ordinary is boring. Ordinary is stale to me. And I like to keep things interesting and moving and own my own life, basically. What do you attribute that to? Like, was it the way your parents raised you? Or was there an incident when you were younger that kind of helped you to, you know, I don't know, maybe build your own independence? Yeah, definitely. Coming from a family that split up when I was three, it's kind of, you know, you couldn't rely on either parent to fully be there as a parent. So, yeah, having to forge my own path and survive, I guess, was the biggest thing in my life. Okay, I can't wait to dig in and hear more about your story. Um, so will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, 
I'm the youngest child <laughs> by five years. So my brother's five years older. All my cousins are like 20 something years older. So I didn't really have, you know, someone close to me, a close bond. And when I was three, my parents split up. So, you know, you kind of the baby out in, in the wild, you know, I was still with the parents, don't get me wrong, but they were more interested in each other's issues than in the kids. Um, so, yeah, I had to learn to forge ahead no matter what, take every setback as what it is, a learning experience. And I guess I've just always done that now. Um, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster, bad marriage, lots of failed relationships, moving house several times, even moving states a couple of times. And, you know, you can either look at these things as, oh, my gosh, the world is falling down around me, or great, now I have an opportunity to make some changes. So I try and see it as the latter. So earlier you said that you take every setback as a learning experience. I would love for you to dive into that a little bit more and talk about that and how you do that. It's not easy. Like, don't get me wrong. My head still spins around on my shoulders going like, what the heck? You know, why me? All that kind of thing. I still have those moments. But it's a matter for me of not being in that moment for too long. And sometimes that's easier said than done. And I do get stuck in that moment. But I pull myself out by going, what can I learn? How can I improve? How can I show up better? How can I be better? You know, what lesson is there to listen to? And probably, you know, the biggest problem I've had in my life has been my health. And that's why I'm in the field that I'm in now. And it was learning to listen to my body. What is my body telling me? You know, cancer is not just cancer. It's a result of a number of things. Autoimmune is not just, you know, a label given to something. It's a collection of symptoms that stem from a root cause. So what's the root cause? So I've always been able to, you know, delve into something and go, all right, what's my next step? Where does this path lead me? And, you know, it's scary sometimes going down a path that you have no idea. But it's that that makes me the badass. It's like going, well, this looks scary, but I'm going to do it anyway because if I don't, I'll never know. How has that helped you in your life? Well, it's actually saved my life. So, you know, that's, I guess, a good thing. Um, so I've been given multiple diagnosis or conditions that I was told were terminal and that was seven years ago so you know that's how it's changed my life is really taking every moment to learn something taking every moment to move forward doesn't always work 100% don't get me wrong I have my failures but it's then looking at those failures and learning from those okay when I did x Y and Z happen, so maybe don't do X again. That's not a good idea. So, you know, for your listeners out there, it's not a foolproof method to jump in and try something to change a situation. But if you don't jump in, well, where you are is probably not a great place. So, you know, why not? What have you got to lose? So when you're really feeling like down in the dumps, like 
what do I do? Or I feel whatever, maybe you start beating yourself up for whatever mistake you made, you know, what is it that you say to yourself? And I don't know if it's like you said earlier, you're kind of asking questions or maybe it's a matter of being curious, but I'd like you to walk us kind of through that process of what you say to yourself and how you get out of funk. Yeah. Well, basically I say to myself where I am now really doesn't feel great. In fact, it it can often suck as an Aussie word that we use. You know, this sucks. Um, And do I want to be in that mindset do I want to be in that space for too long because I know what that's going to do to me like once you're in that kind of depressive funk you can spiral even lower really easily and that's not an option for me I don't have time I'm a single parent you know I'm a business owner I have a podcast as well I just don't have time I still have friends that I need to catch up with and my own self-care and my own self-help So there's the gym and the walks. If I was to sit here and go, look, woe is me, the world's a shitty place and it's all happening to me, that's just a time-sucking adventure for me and I'm not prepared to do that. So it's really a matter of sitting there and saying to myself, okay, this moment is really bad. It feels bad. The stuff that's happening is bad. You know, why me? Yes, I do have those moments because you've got to have those moments but I only let it happen for so long. And for me, like I said, I listen to my body. If I feel my heart rate going up, if I feel my temperature going up, these are stress responses that my adrenals are putting out. And when they happen, I know if I don't listen to those, things are going to get worse. So I don't want to deal with chronic fatigue syndrome. I don't want to deal with adrenal burnout. I don't want to deal with you know, the plethora of reactions that happen when you're highly stressed. So I will sit there and go, okay, that happened. That's really bad. That really didn't feel great. But now what can I do? What are my options? And sometimes my options are simply get out of the house, go for a walk. Sometimes my options are defriend someone on Facebook because I'm just absolutely sick of my feed filling up with their stuff. And that's okay. Sometimes it's defriend a person in person and that's okay too. I actually have a couple of friends who are super negative people. I love them dearly, but I have to meter out how much time I spend with them physically. And I meter out how much time I spend with them on the phone because they're looking at the doom and gloom in the world all the time. And I don't relate to fear porn. I don't have time for it. And I don't want my body to start reacting to that and my brain to start reacting to that. I could sit here scared about what's going on in the world, but I don't have time because, you know, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, the trees are dropping leaves, the flowers are blooming, whatever's happening, there's still something happening that I can go and investigate and enjoy. And here in Australia at the moment, it's freezing. It's currently nine degrees Celsius. So having a bit of a heat wave today for winter but um you know I'm still going to go out and I'm still going to feel the cold air on my face and I'm still going to get some of that winter sun and you know I'm planning a trip to the market tomorrow I'm working out what I'm going to buy at the organic stall so no matter what happens today and actually before this podcast did have a bit of a shitty morning I've got to say (laughs) but knowing I can go to the market tomorrow knowing I'm going to the gym later today 
knowing that I can go for a walk later today, that all kind of cuts that depressive state out. So for your listeners, you know, yeah, you're going to have those moments that are really low, but as we speak, the sun's starting to shine, sorry. But look at what is possible, what is positive and what you can do to change the situation. So earlier you kind of mentioned your heart rate, our heart rate increasing, you're noticing those signs when you're starting to get stressed out. Can you tell us why it's important to pay attention to that? And then what are things we can do to lower our heart rate? Easy. So um, you need to pay attention to what your adrenals are saying. So your adrenal glands just sit on top of your kidneys and they're very small glands, but they control your stress response. So the adrenal glands are where you find adrenaline and norepinephrine, where you find cortisol, the major stress hormone, but it's also when you're post-menopause where you make all your sex hormones. So the adrenals can get really, really affected by high levels of stress because you're pumping out, you've gone past adrenaline and norepinephrine, and now you're pumping out cortisol. And that is, you know, after an extended period of time, the most detrimental thing you can do to yourself because it causes round the tummy weight gain, uh, bloating, a whole lot of illnesses, can push your blood sugars up. It can do a whole lot of things. And we're supposed to experience these stress hormones in short bursts. So something happens, like you stub your toe, you immediately have that, oh, that was really bad. Now I'm really stressed out. But then you jump out of it. But when you're in this stress response for so long, changes happen in your body that they're not irreversible, but they're not easy to reverse. And that is really behind a whole lot of health conditions. So it's really important to listen to your body and go, okay, I feel a bit yuck at the moment, heart rate's up, what can I do? Simple thing you can do is called box breathing. So it's breathing in for four seconds, holding it for four seconds, out for four seconds, holding it for four seconds. And you can do that a number of times and that just lowers your heart rate and cuts that stress response. So that's just something really easy that you can do anytime in the car, at work, when the kids are screaming at you, oatmeal's flying through the air, whatever happens. <laughs> so you mentioned this thing of having multiple diagnoses and is that what changed your or set you on a health trajectory or were you already on that before? I was kind of already on it, but not to the level that I am now. So I was more mainstream, you know, I was more like I'll go to the doctor, I'll go to the naturopath. I'll diet and exercise and hope that my weight drops, you know, that kind of thing. But once I got these multiple diagnoses, I realized that mainstream wasn't working for me. I was missing a whole lot of stuff. So I really started looking at root cause and treating my body with holism. So the body as a whole, not something in isolation or using reductionism and really looking at, okay, well, my weight is a symptom. So that doesn't matter right now because I've got to fix the inside. I've got to fix the terrain and then things will get better. And, you know, I'm still on that journey. I'm still a little bit heavy, uh, but I'm alive. Like I said, seven years after being told I wasn't going to be, um, here I am. And so if that means I'm carrying a bit of extra weight at the moment, so be it. You know, I've regrown my hair. I've rebuilt my life. 
my kids respect me because they've seen the work that I've put in and uh, that's what matters. What were the diagnoses and why did they tell you you wouldn't be alive? So I had stage four cancer. Um, while I was trying to recuperate from that operation, I got Lyme disease. Um, I developed from the operation because they kind of screwed up what they did in my neck. I developed stenosis and hypoxia. Um, I had diabetes at the time as well. So, you know, there was a fair bit going on. And most of that's corrected. The stenosis I'll be living with for the rest of my life. The hypoxia comes and goes, but everything else is in check. So, you know, it is possible. Um, is it easy? No, definitely not. What do you attribute that change to? Me, making that decision that I wasn't going to lie in bed any longer and listen to the, you must say goodbye to your kids now. That was the biggest thing. Because the day that I said to my kids, and they were 12 and 14 at the time, the day that I said, mummy won't be here next year, I realised what I was saying. I looked in their eyes and I realised I was giving up and I was listening to what all the doctors were telling me. And that just wasn't good enough. It wasn't acceptable. So what would you say to the mom that's out there that got a similar diagnosis or got a diagnosis that maybe doesn't have the best outlook? What would you say to her? I would say, look, no one can guarantee you a cure, but you have the power to make changes. And by looking at what got you to where you are, looking at root cause, you've got the best chance to get through it. You know, like I said, there's no guarantees, but if you treat what caused the problem, then you've got the best way out. So I imagine that root cause can be complex and maybe it presents as several different things. How do you pinpoint it to figure out what the root cause is? So with my clients, I do complementary intake and it's a 17 page intake form. And when they're filling it out, I'll get emails like, really, you want to know this? Why is that important? Nothing is unimportant. So what we do once we get the form is we timeline everything. So from the moment you're born to the moment that you're speaking to me, what happened and what order? And that then lets me see what the root cause is. So it could be an infection. It could be multiple infections. It could be traumatic childhood experience. You know, it could be a number of things. And for me, it was all of those things. So having to treat it wasn't easy. But if I didn't, the infections were still going to be there pulling the strings. And the trauma was still going to be there pulling the strings. So it's really getting to those things. And they're the kind of things that most doctors won't ask you about. You know, you walk in and your blood sugars are off the charts, your cortisol is off the charts, they're not going to ask you what happened when you were a kid. They just don't have time. But I do. So what's, what's the alternative? Obviously, one option is to contact you, get in touch with you for a session. Um, what, what other alternatives are there? Learn how to do it yourself. So you know, you can shoot me a message and I can send you a link to a wonderful functional health school that I'm part of. And, you know, we teach clients to become their own practitioners. Um, really just listen to your body is the biggest thing. If something doesn't sound right, something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. So don't take 
you know, a doctor or a naturopath or a friend or a family member or whoever, don't let them tell you how it's going to be and then you sit there feeling all yucky inside because you know that's not right. Don't live with that. You don't have to. Yeah, I think it's so important to be your own health advocate. And that's not really something, at least here in the United States, it's not something that's really taught to anybody. It's like, listen to the doctors, listen to the professionals, they're the expert. And it's not like taught to, hey, go elsewhere, look, read different books or, you know, that's not the only answer, which I think a lot of times we think it is. Is it the same there? Very much so. Here in Australia, we're told, do not question the doctors. They know everything. Well, guess what? They don't. And they're the first to tell you that they don't. So when they become a GP, I can't remember how many how many years, four or six here that they're at uni, they're supposed to learn everything about the human body. So when you come into the clinic for your seven-minute appointment, because that's all they've got for you, uh, that they're supposed to be able to answer everything. Guess what? They can't. Nutrition alone, they spend maybe an hour in four years on nutrition. So they're not nutritionists. They can't give you a diet. They can't tell you what to eat because they don't know that certain diets, certain ways of eating are not great for certain immune types. In fact, they don't even know that there's five known immune types. They just think the immune system is the immune system. Well, guess what? It's not. And it's not their fault. They don't have time. So be your own doctor, be your own guru. And while we're talking about the word doctor, Right. In the early 1900s, there was no word called doctor. Okay, It actually meant teacher. The doctor was supposed to teach you how to listen to your body. And they did. Our grandparents, you know, in, back in the time, would go out into the garden, pick some herbs and, you know, crush it down in water and pestle and make you swallow something horrible. And that's because they were the doctors. They were the teachers. But in the early 1900s, the Royal College of Surgeons trademarked the word doctor to become what we know it is today. Okay, so now people go to uni for a number of years to get this doctor at the end of their name. But really, they're supposed to be a teacher. When was the last time you went to a general practitioner, a GP, and they taught you something? They're not supposed to just prescribe something and tell you to, you know, move more, eat less. That's not fixing a situation. It's a Band-Aid solution. And when you leave a Band-Aid on long enough, well, it ends up falling off and the problem's still there, probably worse. I love that analogy about the Band-Aid because it's so true. And then also, like you were saying, yeah, it seems like they can just prescribe, prescribe, prescribe. And I'm not I'm not hating on doctors. Like they are busy. They have a lot going on themselves. Um, I think there's just a lot of pressure on one area to solve all of our health problems. Exactly. And when they're prescribing something, they're prescribing something synthetic. So when was the last time your doctor got their script pad out and wrote, go sit in the sunshine with bare feet in the dirt, drinking water with some essential oils in it and, you know, just enjoy nature around you they're not going to write that right they're going to write take a statin to control your cholesterol take blood pressure medications take you know anti-reflux medications i'm not fixing what's causing that but take that so you don't feel the symptoms anymore well those things are synthetic that you're taking and they're going to have a number of side effects 
every medication is listed on Dr. Google and the lists of side effects are there. Okay. But these days we go and see a doctor and it's not often we stay with the same doctor. You don't go with a list of the medications that you're on. They don't have time to look at the medications you're on. So they'll prescribe something that could conflict with the last medication. And I see a lot of that when I'm going through people's med lists. And I go, hang on, you're on three statins? Why? Oh, well, the second doctor didn't ask me, so they prescribed it, so I took it. Oh, and you're on something that, okay, it's a beta blocker? Why? You know, so you've got to think these things are synthetic and they have their own side effects which cause more issues so not only now if you've got a band-aid flapping like you've been swimming and it's hanging off your foot and now you probably got a bit of an infection under it but now you're bombarding your body with chemicals which have their own side effects so why would you do that not all medications are bad don't get me wrong listeners not all are bad some you need to be on but you have to understand that if it's not of nature it has side effects. So somebody that's on a bunch of medications and they don't know if they really should be going together, what could they do to start to investigate? Is it Dr. Google or is it something else? Dr. Google is a great place to start. Good old Wikipedia is great too. So you're really looking at not only the side effects, but what's known as MOA, mechanism of action. And each mechanism of action is listed, okay, especially on Wikipedia. So you look at that and you, you know, copy and paste it onto a document, print it out and go to your doctor and say, is this right? Because this says this does this and it's not compatible with that, but now I'm on that. So ask questions. You have the right to ask. It's your body. Because guess what? When the doctor prescribes something, when the naturopath prescribes something, you know, when whoever prescribes something, they don't have to live with the outcome. You do. So this is where you need to be a badass and you need to say, well, this is my body. I'm the one that goes home and at midnight I'm waking up with hot sweats because of the medication or I can't get to sleep or I can't wake up. They're at home in their own beds, nice and cosy. Maybe they've had a glass of wine. They're with their family. Fireplaces on in winter, aircons on in summer. They're not living in your body. So really take that responsibility. So the MOA, that would say what medicines conflict with other medicines. Is that right? The MOA will tell you how the medicine works, but there will be under the side effects, a list of contraindications and other medications will be there. So once you do that for each medication, you'll see one, um, we'll, we'll take thyroid, for example. So one might block T4 which is a thyroid hormone, but another medication might be a T4 medication. And I say this because I recently got a client who came from an endocrinologist, well-known, and this is their job. And they had put this client on a T4 blocker and a T4 medication. So why is she on two medications that do exactly the opposite of each other? She went back to the endocrinologist and said, why? I've looked at these things. And the endo said, oh, I didn't realize they did that. This is their job to do this, right? So if you can research that stuff, you're not being a hypochondriac, you're taking responsibility. Research the stuff, go to the person prescribing to you and say, but this says this and this says that. 
because sometimes they just won't know. That's both terrifying and empowering at the same time. Like it's know, terrifying. Right? Yeah. That the doctors could be prescribing something and not even know. And then also like encouraging that, you know, you could take action into your own hands and really figure some of this out for yourself. Yep. At the end of the day, if you put anything into your body, it's your responsibility. It's not theirs. It's yours. Cause you had an opportunity to say, nope, doesn't sound right. Or tell me more or why. Always say why. I'm prescribing this. Why? Oh, because it does this, but why? Because you've got XYZ. Yeah, but why? Why have I got that? Always ask why. So when you started asking these questions, asking why, what did the people around you start thinking? I mean, I know you don't know everything that goes on in the doctor's office, but it sounds like you started choosing more alternative methods of health. So what did your people around you say? My doctor actually wrote on my file that I had Munchausen's early on in a piece before I started questioning and I saw the file and I went, oh, so he thinks I'm nuts, but there's something actually wrong inside me. So when I found a decent doctor and I started asking why, he said, why are you asking me why? And I said, because I have the right to know. And he said, who told you you had the right to know? And I said, I told me. <laughs> and uh, he said, no one's asked me this before. And I said, well, I am now. So we can sit here with me on the chair with my arms folded until you give me some answers. Or we can make another appointment. You can do some research and then give me some answers that I want to hear. They're the options. And then he said, but why? And I said, because I can. <laughs> So he's still a good friend to this day. I don't see him as a doctor anymore. In fact, you know, he sends me messages every now and then, hey, what does this do? And I'm like, hang on, you're the doctor. You're supposed to know. But kudos to him for like chucking his ego aside and like asking somebody who he figured would legitimately know. Yeah, totally. And there need to be more people like that. Yeah. You know, I have the time to research what I put into my body. Did I have the time early on? No, but I made the time. So now there's not a thing that I take that I do that I don't know the ins and outs of. And, you know, if your listeners, maybe they don't have that time, but just asking why, because you're paying that doctor, right? You're paying them for a service. Get the full service. Don't just get half answers. Yes. Like be the own, be your own authority for your own health and your own body. Totally. It's called medical autonomy. And it's a dirty word these days with everything happening in the world, but whether it's a blood pressure medication or anything else, you have the right to decide what happens in your body. Because as I said, when they go home and they're enjoying their fancy glass of wine and you know, their life's all picturesque and beautiful and comfortable you're the one still in your body so as women many of us are taught like go with the flow don't you know don't create problems just do what other people say or keep the peace I imagine that you have to do some sort of work to get in touch with yourself to get in touch with your intuition or to start listening to yourself more do you have any sort of practice that you do to help you get in touch with your own voice? Yeah, look, I'm not a great meditator. 
Like I actually have trouble sitting still and being quiet in case you hadn't realized already <laughs> that, you know, meditation, looking at my navel, belly fluff doesn't really work for me. So for me, getting in touch means listening to 80s music while I'm in the garden and, you know, bopping around. The weeds might not get pulled, but hey, at least I get some exercise. Um, so for me, that's how I cut everything out in the world. And then I listen to the messages coming to me. And we all have that inner voice, that inner message that's there. We just have to learn to listen to it. So, you know, some people, it might just be sitting in the garden having a cup of tea and just, you know, calming everything down, slowing everything down. For other people, it might be they work really well in chaos. So blast the music while you're vacuuming and have a million things going on. If chaos is how it works, then that's how it works. The other way I think the best is in the shower. So middle of the day, you know, I've already had my shower in the morning. If I think that my brain's just in neutral and there's something I need to think out, I go and tell my now adult kids I'm going to have a shower. And if it's middle of the day, they know mum needs to work something out. I sit, sit on the floor of the shower with the blasting hot water on me and sure enough, a whole lot of stuff gets thought out. So whatever works for you, do that. Going back to rocking the boat, sometimes if you don't rock the boat, you don't see the beautiful things just under the hull of the boat. So really think about that. I don't know if you've ever been canoeing. Sometimes you look over and you can't see, but you go up on a bit of a wake because some other boat just went past and then you see these beautiful fish just sitting underneath the hull of your canoe. Well, you wouldn't get to see them if you didn't rock the boat. Yes, so good. And I really like your analogy, or not analogy, but your story about just going to take a shower. I've never heard that before. Um, I've heard like, oh, a shower can bring creativity or, you know, it's kind of just download time. So I've never really heard it in the same way that you said it. So I think that's really important. Oh, to beers, don't be afraid to jump in the shower um, if you just need like some downtime or to relax or decompress. So thank you for that. No worries. So I would like to pivot and talk a little bit about your hardships. Some people might look at you and say, you know what? Magic, everything is good for her. She can do it, but I can't do it. Or we have this social media world where everything is like all gumdrops and lollipops and you don't necessarily see the hardships in people's lives. Will you talk about some of the hardships that you've been through to get to where you are today? Definitely. Well, you know, one of the biggest ones was a very nasty marriage and divorce. I lost everything. I got to keep my kids, my pets and some furniture. But I lost, you know, the house, the cars, the money. And do you know what? That was hard at the time, but it gave me an opportunity to rebuild myself the way I want to be. And it gave me an opportunity to say, well, everything I have now I've worked hard for. You know, it's not because I was married that I got a house. I had to, you know, find rental accommodation and start from scratch and that's okay. I got sick. Now I could have just fallen into a heap and gone, well, it's it, life's over. But it actually turned into an opportunity to build a relationship with my sons. As I said, they're now young adults and we all still live together and we're all still best friends because I really put my ego aside and went, I'm not just your mum, I'm not just your friend, I can be everything. And you know what? We're here in technology land today. 
I have to say to your listeners, I didn't set up my microphone. I didn't know how to set this computer up that I'm using. I have two screens here. I had never used two screens before. My kids did that. So I'm the parent. I'm the old person in the house, basically. And I have no idea how to do any of this because it wasn't around when I was their age. So I'm going to ask them to do it for me. So reach out and ask for help. You don't have to be everything to everyone all the time. It just doesn't work like that. Does conquering some of these issues, like say you didn't know about tech and then conquering that and having a podcast of your own, does that encourage you to then do other things that are hard or that you don't know how to do? It does. And I'm one of these people, you know, when things get to the point of I'm about to have a breakthrough because I will try something, I'll get to the point of bursting out into tears and wanting to pack it in, and then I have that that breakthrough moment. So something really interesting, a couple of years ago, one of my friends took me to a macrame lesson. And macrame is, you know, that weaving of thick string to make baskets and wall hangings, stuff like that. I could not get the knots. Like the instructor was telling me over and over, and I just couldn't get it. I ended up bursting out to tears, having a complete meltdown. My friend knows that this is sometimes how I have to operate. And she said to the instructor who wanted to come and do it for me, no, walk away. Because if you interrupt her right now, she's probably going to belt you. But if you give her a minute, she'll get it. And sure enough, they all just sat there watching me disintegrate on the floor. And then I went, I got it. And then I made it. And the wall hanging's actually out in my hallway now. And it's great because I had to get to that point of meltdown. Sometimes that has to happen, but you have to let it happen. We can't keep covering up these things and trying to live, you know, a half okay life. Sometimes you have to push the limit. And I did that with my marriage too. I got to the point where I just could not tolerate what was going on anymore. I disintegrated for a couple of days and then I left. And I opened the door and we walked out and that was great. So, you know, really sum up what's happening. It's not forever. It can get to the absolute worst moment, but that's when you learn. So can you take us back to the time where you're thinking about leaving your marriage or the couple of days when you're having a hard time with it, and but kind of wrestling around with the idea? What was that like? And then how did you make the decision to leave? It actually was pretty bad for a few years. And I was living on the couch. He had the bedroom. I had the couch with the cat and the dog. And, you know, I was kind of seeing things that were going on and I thought it was just affecting me. And it wasn't really until, you know, right towards the end that my kids who were little at that stage came and said, mom, he's hurting us too. We're scared. I went, ah, right. That was my disintegrate moment. So I actually did go out into the backyard with the dog and burst out into tears and went, how have I let this happen? How did I not see that it wasn't just me getting hurt? And the next day we left. So how did you manage that guilt? I think oftentimes moms have this mom guilt and it might be for that, or it could be for working a lot or being outside the house. You know, how do you deal with mom guilt? It was actually my kids that taught me how to deal with it. So once we moved, 
to a new house, new town, the whole thing. I said, I am so sorry that we stayed for so long. I'm so sorry, but I just didn't want you coming from a split family because I did, and I didn't want that. Wanted you to have mum and dad. And they said, do you know what? We haven't had mum and dad all our lives. Mm. And my eldest, who really pulls no punches when he talks, he has zero filter. So if you ever want to know how terrible you look one day, you ask him and he'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I never buy an outfit without him telling me what it actually looks like. Um, But he came up to me and he said, mum, stop it. I said, stop what? And he goes, you didn't know because you were trying to survive. You didn't know because we didn't tell you because we knew you had a lot on your plate. So we're all to blame. Get over yourself. Go do some shopping, cook us nice dinner. <laughs> and you know what? We live for today. And I just went, okay, <laughs> out of the mouth of the babes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you really, yeah, put that mum guilt aside. You're doing the best that you can with what you've got. Okay. I didn't know what they were dealing with. I was so busy dealing with what I was, but I had did the best with what I had. You can't turn back time. You can just deal with what you do now. Yes. And I think it's important to remember, like, even if you don't have a kid or a friend or somebody to remind you that you're doing the best that you can, that you can be your own cheerleader. You can say these things to yourself when you're feeling down and repeat them several times until you start to believe it. Yep. The other thing that you can do is, you know, this used to sound really hokey to me, but a gratitude journal. It wasn't until I actually started doing it and got <laughs> over my stubbornness of it. It sounds a bit hokey. But, you know, write things down of great things that have happened today. So a great thing that's happened for me today so far is that my legs work and I can walk through my house. Great thing that happened this morning was I stubbed my toe. <laughs> Why? Because it made me more aware of the surroundings that I'm in. But you know what? How great that my toes work that I could feel the pain of stubbing my toe. You know, a great thing for me, I often worry about my weight still, but a great thing for me is I'm not what I was at my heaviest. So today I can appreciate that my body is still trying to protect me and, you know, weight is just weight, but I can still move. I can still go to the gym. I can still enjoy time with my family. So really, you know, the little things are what you need to gratitude at the end of the day. Also help you sleep when all that's kind of out of your head. But there's always something positive. I have a squeaky chair at the moment. It's on its last legs. But I'm grateful that it hasn't actually broken while I'm sitting on it. (laughs) Might not seem like much, but, you know, if I wasn't grateful for that, I'd be missing something. Yes, that's so true. And I know earlier you talked a little bit about when you got the divorce or when you moved out and you're, you didn't have anything or through the divorce, you lost everything to your spouse. I don't know about you because I'm, I'm divorced too. I had nothing during the transition period, you know, like, well, you're waiting for all the paperwork to be final all or filed all that stuff. And I was like, mortified at the time. Cause I'm like, I have nothing, I have nothing, you know, but then like later looking back, it's like, that was one of the happiest times. Cause I had so few belongings and I wasn't reliant on, you know, needing this thing or that thing. Was that the same for you? It was. And, you know, I talk about my kids pulling no punches. My eldest again, came into 
into his own. And a moment, I was sitting in our new rental home on the floor. We didn't have any beds. We'd left the beds behind. And I said, wow, what are we going to do? And he goes, we can pitch a tent in the middle of the lounge room and we can get our blankets and our pillows and we can have fun. I said, but we have nothing. And he turned around and he goes, mum, we have each other. And I went, yep, now I have everything. That's it. <laughs> it sounds like you raised some wise kids. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happened, but anyway, <laughs> I think they kind of had to raise themselves a bit like I did, but at least because I'd been honest about my family with them, they didn't fall into the same pitfalls. So they've never had the I'm not good enough's going on. I did. You know, I, I made it mean to me that, my parents broke up because I wasn't good enough. They never had that because I've been honest with them the whole time. You know, and, and even to this day, they're now in their 20s, both of them, and I say, listen, if you ever want to reach out to your dad, you can. He, no matter what he's done, he's still your dad. And they just turn around and they said, you know what, he's had the opportunity for the past 10 years. He hasn't taken it. So bugger it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay then. <laughs> How did you know what you could say to them? Because they were still younger. How did you kind of manage that? It's a fine line, I imagine. I've never really treated them as children. I've treated them as humans. So, you know, rather than say, don't touch that because it's hot, I'll say, if you touch that and it's really hot, you're actually going to burn your hands and it's going to blister up and it's going to be really sore and you could get an infection. So you could touch it because it feels like a good idea at the time. Or you could think about what could happen. Now, most people don't talk to their kids like that. I always have. Um, you know, both my kids are on a spectrum, the autism spectrum. So I ran my home when they were little, like an army boot camp. <laughs> and my mother used to come and say, stop talking to them like they're the dogs. Because, you know, you say to your dog, sit down. So I'd say to my kids, sit down and eat. And then, you know, they'd buck the system like, <laughs> you say X, I'm going to do Y. And they'd run around and they're trying to eat and they're dropping food. And I go, right, now you better clean that up. And they'd look at me. I said, you just consider yourself lucky you didn't choke on your food while you were running. If I say sit down, there's good reason. And so then I would start adapting that to sit down so you don't hurt yourself with the food. So you don't drop it because you're the one cleaning it up later. And my mother used to come and say, you can't do that. You're supposed to do everything. They're little kids. No, they have to take responsibility for themselves. That's the way it is. Yeah, that's something that's not taught a lot or even talked about a lot. So I think that's interesting. And I think that I'm not the expert on this, but <laughs> that kids can handle more or they're more adult than we think they are. They have, you know... I don't know a better way to say that, but they can handle a lot um, more than we realize. They can. And we have to give them that opportunity because the only way we make well-rounded humans later is by giving them all the information they need. So, yeah, they're little kids. You know, they might be five, six, seven, whatever. But don't do everything for them and don't hold back information. Explain to them when they cut themselves why... You need to, you know, disinfect it while you need to do whatever you're doing to it, wrapping it in gauze or whatever. Explain to them. Don't go, oh, there, there, you've cut yourself. Oh, isn't that terrible? That's not teaching them anything. 
Mm. You know, my family, especially my father, if I hurt myself and cried, he'd say, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Well, that's not teaching me anything about life. That's telling me to withhold my feelings. My kids would fall over and cut themselves and I'd go, oh, that really sucks that you did that. Must hurt a lot. But now I've got to disinfect it because this is why we're doing it. And, uh, you know, we'll wrap it up and we'll make sure that it feels okay in an hour or so. And if it doesn't, come back and tell me. Very different approaches to the same problem. Yeah. And I imagine that kind of even feeds into like the health stuff we're talking about. Like if you're giving them explanations, they're probably going to start asking why to, to you and to other people. When other people yeah. aren't explaining it, they're going to be like, why? You know, it kind of creates a environment where they're curious and feel okay to ask questions. Exactly. So when I do my intake call, like that's all free. And I will explain what immune type that I find that you are. And I'll explain the infections and where I'm seeing them in your history. And I'll explain how your hormones are working. And if you don't want to work with me after that, that's fine. But you walk away with a whole lot of information because guess what? That's your body. That's what you're dealing with. And you have the right to know. So I know we're winding down here, but can you tell, do you do calls virtually? And can you tell their immune type just from them answering those questions? Definitely. So I work completely remotely now with everything that changed in the world. I actually closed my clinics here in Australia and decided to work remotely. I live kind of in a country town now, so it's great. Um, So yeah, the 17 page intake form pretty much gives me most of the information. And on the uh, root cause analysis call, I will actually go through that and ask questions. So there might be some things that I have to highlight as I'm going through the form. And then I'll ask that on a call and I'll explain everything. So, you know, that's all complimentary. And like I said, if you don't work with me, you don't work with me, but at least you've got answers because you have the right to them. Okay. If awesome. If you'll send me that link so I can add it to the show notes, Yep, um, that would be awesome. So let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life that they want. Well, be a badass. <laughs> don't be scared of it. You know, you have every right to control the direction of your life. You're the only one that can take that right and you're the only one that can take that action. So jump in and take the action. And how can we connect with you? Yeah, you can find me on um, the web at www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au. So holistic has a W in front of it because we use holism. We're on Facebook at Holistic Natural Health Australia, again with the W, and on Instagram at Holistic Natural Health. Thank you so much or so much magic. You've been a total badass and I've enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And with that, we'll end our show. To all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Okay. So what did you think of that episode? Wasn't magic fierce? I love her like I was going to say take no BS, but it's more than that. It's like She would ask questions. She would think outside of the box and do things her way and ask why. Like, how threatening is it to say why? Why? But I don't understand. Why? So, loved it. Let's do the five takeaways. First, notice your body's response to how you're feeling. Like, you can notice your heart racing and do the box breathing that she described. Number two, no one can guarantee a cure. 
but you have the power to make changes. Look at what got you to where you are today and you've got the best chance to get through it once you fix what got you to where you are today. Look on Dr. Google or Wikipedia, type in your medicine and look for the MOA, which is the mechanism of action. When you find the medicine um, or when you find a medicine that conflicts with another medicine that you're on, print it out and take it to your doctor. Say, is this right? This is what I found. Number four, if you put anything into your body, it's your responsibility. Number five, don't do everything for your kids and don't hold back information from them. Explain to them what you're doing and why. So when they cut themselves, tell them why you need to disinfect it or why you need to put gauze on it. And and if you just start comforting them, say, poor baby, they're there, that's not teaching them anything. All right. With that, I'm out. Tune in Thursday for the three reasons why Magic Barclay is so badass. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, OrdinaryToBadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future Spotlight episode of the show. That's OrdinaryToBadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt, and get back in the arena.